and welcome to African American Literature, the birthplace of the Rabbi. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Shedcast brought to you by Putting It Together. Welcome along. How are you? I hope you're well. So we continue with the Sherinbro Fringe Festival. Hope you're finding it uh, as as enticing and wonderful as I am. It's been ter- terrific so far. Uh, I'm running out of I'm running out of big words, not big words, but uh, hyperbole to use. Terrific, fantastic, wonderful, well done, everyone. Um, now it is great. I mean, I'm having such a great time here, and uh, I've just seen Afia Campbell's show Woke, which she co-wrote with Meredith Yarbrough, and I'm sure you'll agree if you've seen it. Tremendous, tremendous, and really different from anything else we've seen uh, in the last few days. Um, I I really particularly enjoy the kind of the interplay between these two distinct characters um, from different eras, really, and coming at the Black Lives Matter movement from different perspectives. You know, but the younger one kind of learning from the one. In, in the past um, and it was great to chat to Afia a wee bit about where they where they came from and how, how the young character differs you know in experience to her own quite significantly um, you know you could be forgiven for thinking initially that she's not you know that she's playing herself in those moments uh, in the first instance but um, very different um, the character of Ambrosia is, is really different from her and it was brilliant to talk to her about how the show came about and, as well and her time in Shanghai and stuff it'll all become clear when you get into the episode um, so we're looking forward to even more performances tonight we're going to see Beats by Kieran Hurley it's a special reading given to us by Lauren MacDonald so that's exciting I mean Beats has, has had amazing success since it first started even you know f- for Kieran himself as a solo but then it's be- gone on to become a, a very big and very popular Scottish film as well um, so I'm really looking forward to that, it's going to give us a, a new perspective on that as well and then we're getting a special reading of Adam by Adam Kashmiri um, and the following night so it's all very exciting, um, I'm just trying to keep my keep my calm in amongst it all it's been great, every day is a new adventure so um, bear in mind now that these shows are only shown once they're not available for download. You can't pause or rewind them. So if you go into shedinburgh.com and you find stuff you fancy watching, what you have to do is you have to book a ticket and then show up on time for the show. What I mean is that if you're late, you miss the beginning of it. And if you miss the time, you miss the show. And that's that. Um, so we have that kind of urgency attached to it that we get, that we so love in theatre and especially at the Fringe, you know. I mean, how many times have you turned up to a show late and not been admitted at the Fringe? I know that's happened to me and I've been gutted. Um, but of course, this it doesn't need to happen now because we're in the comfort of our own homes. We're on Zoom. Um, so we can we can carve out the time to see the shows so have a look on shedinburgh.com look at the schedule ha and uh, pick what you want to see remember uh, you can donate as little as four pounds that's the minimum donation we ask for you to obviously donate as much as you can um, and what you think it's worth as well it goes to the shed load of future fund which is to bring young and emergent artists to the fringe people who otherwise wouldn't be able to do it because of the high costs involved so consider that when you're booking your tickets the uptake has been tremendous so far and today we're pleased to announce some new acts that have just been added to the program 
On Tuesday the 25th of August we can see comedian Jade Adams. She's an award-winning comedian from Bristol. Uh, an uncut gem, it says here on the website, so that can only be a good thing. Uh, also that's just been added to the festival is Wacky Racists, which is on Wednesday the 2nd of September at 7.30. That's Sophie Duker after a year of sellout shows across the country. She's back with Wacky Racists, so we're looking forward to that as well. And finally, maybe not finally, yes, finally just added, I hear an Olga on Friday the 4th of September. That's at 9.15, so that means on Friday the 4th we're getting two shows. It's a comedy double bill. I hear sharp intellectual brand of stand-up features a blend of philosophical inquiry, political vigour and sweet gags. And then there's Olga. Olga, she's obsessed with her exes, so much so that she's turned the shed into a museum of all the stuff they've left at her house. (laughs) So, a comedy double bill which comes up after Deborah Francis White rolls the dice on Friday the 4th of September. There's two shows that night, which is very exciting. So this is what's happening. You've got to stay tuned because stuff's getting added and little secrets are being let out of the bag. And I suspect that that's not all. Remember, we've got the performance of White Rabbit, Red Rabbit on the final night of the festival and it's yet to be announced who's performing that show. And if you're not aware of it, it's a play where the actor playing the part or reading the play, as it were, is different every time the play is put on. So no actor has done this show twice and we never know who the actor's going to be until we see the play start. And on top of that, the actor has never seen the script or the play before they walk on stage. So, imagine what an exciting theatrical event that's going to be. Some some wonderful actor that we probably know is going to walk out with an envelope with a script inside it and open that envelope and see the script for the first time on that night at 7.30. So it's going to be pretty amazing to be part of that. White Rabbit, Red Rabbit on the final night of the festival, which is, of course, Saturday the 5th of September. So, once again, Shedumbra.com, that's where you can get all this information, but also stay tuned to this podcast for exclusive information about what's coming up. Now... If you would like to support this podcast and keep it going, bearing in mind that yesterday we reached 150 consecutive episodes of this show, and thank you very much for being a support throughout that. You can support the show financially by going to puttingittogethercast.com, looking for the yellow donate button and clicking through to PayPal. It's dead simple, it doesn't have to cost you much, but it does make a huge difference. So remember, puttingittogethercast.com, look for the yellow donate button and become a patron of the show. Many people are already doing that and I'm very grateful to them. Please join them in keeping this show going. I'm trying to make it part of my income. As you can imagine, it's a tremendous amount of work. I love doing it and I want to keep bringing you the show. So I'd love to have your support. So now, 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 it's time for me to talk to Afia Campbell about her show, Woke. So, here we are. It's me and Afia Campbell and we are putting it together. My heart is rushing fast, my blood is turning black, my feet can't move fast enough. So you did it. I did it. I did it all. <laughs> how how different is it doing it in the wee shed? Uh, very, very different because, um, yeah, just kind of performing the piece and putting all of the work in with my fabulous director, Caitlin, like doing all the physicality uh, stuff. You know, it's obvious that we had in mind that we're playing to like this large audience. So to make it smaller and think about like for the camera, I'm like, oh, are my eyes doing something weird? Is my face like looking too big? The eyes, I get that as well. You suddenly realize your gaze is all over the place and you can kind of get away with that. Yeah, yeah. With the distance, can't you? Yeah, exactly. And I think especially like having done it so many times, like 
you kind of have a place, obviously, no matter what theater you're in, you know, it's always, the TV's always here, Trey's always there, like, uh, so, um, yeah, it was just really, yeah, different to do it in yeah. the shed and knowing that the, yeah, they're not so far away, they're just right there. <laughs> but it gives it that intimacy as well, which I've been enjoying. Yeah, I really enjoyed that, um, being able to, yeah, bring it down, and, and I, I guess also realizing that there's parts of it that are really intimate, like Asada's pieces she is like kind of doing it more confessional like kind of thing because uh she's she's the teacher in the piece and she's teaching ambrosia about this journey so um it should feel more intimate and confessional so that was really nice yeah we get closer to the kind of intimacy of, of her character from way back Aye, yeah, yeah. so these two where did they come from and how are they kind of how are they related to you do you feel um i guess I I don't know. I feel like I don't know if I if I could say they related to me in some way. <laughs> I, I there was a point where I was learning about uh, Black Lives Matter and and that journey. I wasn't as I wasn't naive like uh, Ambrosia, but uh, there was a time when I was learning about it because all of that was happening when I wasn't in the country. I was living in China at the time. Oh, okay, and so all of those images, the really famous images, you know, with the guy in the fire and, and the tanks. And I was seeing all of this uh, and just, and I had been away from China. I mean, I'm away from America at that point about four or five years. So oh wow, uh, to see all of this change happening whilst abroad, I, I, I didn't really know what to make of it. I'm like, what's Black Lives Matter? Like what, what, what is America this bad? Like tanks are, going down the street like this mm. This is what America's become uh, and so I guess it was really important to for me when we were working on it to to have that character who's having this journey uh, and kind of educate the audience because I'm sure that there were people who were looking at those images and thinking well that's that's what it is that's we need those tanks we gotta yeah we have to keep civility <laughs> and um, Ambrosia's dad he says all lives matter and it, yeah how common do you think that is in in America now, I you can go on YouTube and you see Black Americans uh, saying those things, and you see. I remember, I distinctly remember a friend of mine talking about this police officer who she was seeing for a while, who was you know like old oh, Black Lives Matter, just a bunch of terrorists and militants, and he was black. And he was wow. just like they don't have any like message and blah blah blah. So. You know, there there are, I mean, I'm hoping they're not a huge amount, sure, but, yeah. but they do exist. But that's not so. your experience in terms of your family or anything? No, 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 no. not at all. My dad's an, my dad's a lawyer and so, um, and my mom's a teacher and, and we were always, you know, kind of brought up to know like our rights, but I didn't grow up with this fear of the police, right. uh, which I didn't realize until kind of later in my life that. I yeah I just didn't when police pulled me over it was just oh do you have a problem like what's what's up like I would talk to them like that like why, right. why, why are you stopping me uh, it wasn't like oh sorry sir or whatever and I remember um, a friend of mine like later in my life like saying oh this man this black man was saying oh you know when they pull me over I'm really polite and blah 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 and, and I was really confused by that. Like, why would you polite, be polite if you didn't do anything? Like, So you weren't um, given that set of instructions by your parents or anything? You know, this is how you need to behave with the police or anything? No, okay. no, I wasn't. And and I think it was kind of the privilege of having a lawyer as a father. Okay. Uh, to always told me what my rights were and, and that I didn't 
I knew that if I ever got into any trouble, he would always help me. Um, so I had no no reason to fear the police or, or fear the the criminal justice system. So um, that's probably a fairly unique position to grow up in as a black person in America, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't one that I realized until, like I said, like much later in my life yeah. when I was reflecting on like my childhood and, and my experiences with police and, and thinking about Oh yeah, I never I didn't I never did have that fear of of police. Uh so yeah, it was a, a privileged position to be in growing up. And did sure. you grow up in Missouri? No, no, no. I grew up in Florida, oh, in, Florida. in Sarasota, Florida. And my family, we were the first black family to move into our neighborhood. And so it it was I guess I was really young and I didn't realize a lot of the things that were happening. Yeah. Like uh and, I remember later on that, like riding my bicycle and seeing like KKK like spray painted on a stop sign and like the South will rise and hearing my parents talk about when we first moved there, like the cops would follow them home. And then when they found out my dad was a lawyer, they stopped. But going down the street to play with the little girl and her saying, oh, we have to play at your house because black kids aren't allowed in our house. And wow. And just thinking, oh, well, I guess um We'll just go play at our house then. <laughs> but that's like in the, what, 1990s? Yeah, that was in the 90s. Gosh, unbelievable. Mm. And then after that, did did you know of more black families ending up at, living in the neighborhood? Uh, some, Yeah, more so. Eventually. Yeah, eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, how old were you when you went to China? I was 26, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, 25, 26, yeah. And what was it brought you there? I was I got a job teaching drama at an art school there oh, and right, okay. um and it was in the middle of the financial crisis when everything was falling apart in New York so I, I fled to China. <laughs> okay. So you had been in New York before that? I had been in New York. Right. Yeah. And had you worked and trained there? I trained uh, at a school in Miami in Florida right. and then I moved to New York after university and was living there and working there and auditioning and right. yeah, kind of doing the thing you do right out of college. Sure. Yeah. So was that a more um, conventional time in terms of were you auditioning for parts in, in other people's shows and that type of thing? Yeah. Like as an actor? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It was, and it was kind of the realization that I had for myself as a performer that, oh, if I want to people to see me the way that I see myself or to know what I can do, I have to write for myself, which was kind of a part of also like, in my flight to China, it was like, oh, I can make money and also kind of try and work on developing something for my for myself because right. I didn't feel like I was being seen for the type of roles that I was good for. And okay. um, yeah, and I just wanted to have a bit more ownership over my work. What kind of thing were you being seen for? Uh, a lot of like young girls, like in, <laughs> I mean, for musicals. I would I would get seen for like things like Seely and and those yeah. kind of uh, roles, but those roles for me were really difficult to sing because my voice is like an alto. Yeah. And um, or I would get seen for uh, um, I'm trying to think of that musical in Hairspray, like oh, right. the little girl. Okay. <laughs> And and I remember people would be like, "Can you make your voice like higher?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Not really." Uh, uh, how are you? <laughs> oh gosh. So. It, some point you realized like you said that you could do you mean you could do a day job or something else that was almost unrelated to make money yeah in order that you can pursue your own yeah absolutely yeah in order to be able to focus on writing because at that point you know i was in new york and as it is living in a big city i was like you know trying to survive really yeah and there wasn't 
any time left for creativity uh, to be able to to you know figure out what I wanted to do and to create for myself. So yeah, that was the plan was to go for a year, write something, come back and like try and see what I could do with it, um, and that turned into five and a half years. <laughs> five and a half. And were you yeah. writing that whole time, or did you get sidetracked in any way? No, I got sidetracked, um, thankfully, and I just lived my life. (laughs) So I just traveled and partied and dated and just, um, I guess, kind of learned more about myself and uh, found out more about my journey and and who I was and grew into a woman, I suppose. And and then about, I guess, about three years in, I realized, hmm, I can't stay here forever and I need to figure out an exit plan, so to speak. And so that's when I sat down and started writing um, my piece, Black is the Color of My Voice. Right. And where did that first get shown? It was in Shanghai at first. Okay. Uh, That was in 2013. And we had rented this really small uh, out, it wasn't outdoor, it was the rooftop space that we converted to a theater and and my goal was just to kind of get it up and i'm like well if people come i, I hope they come mm-hmm. I, I i don't know if people are really interested in Nina simone but i like her so <laughs> i'm okay. gonna do the show and uh and it, it was really surprising like how successful for me how successful the show uh was there because it started off being you know like 20 30 people and then i saw the numbers progressively get higher and then the second weekend I remember walking out on the stage and there were like, you know, at least 200 people in the space that was accommodating 80. Oh, wow. And people were like standing all in the back and sitting around the stage. And, and I was just like, oh my God, all these people came to see my show. <laughs> so it really took off. Yeah, it really took off. Did you play Nina? Yeah, I played So it's Nina. like, a, you're, you're always Nina or are you, you're dipping in and out? What, how does it no, work? No, no, it's, uh, well, it's, it's, it's inspired by her because yeah. I, um, I took like some liberty and kind of, interpreting how she would feel in certain situations Mm -hmm. and it follows her life as a child prodigy up until the civil rights movements and it's always her as a character yeah Yeah. wow but so in this show you go between two characters Mm. what's your kind of what what's been the progression from from that show that first piece in in Mm. shanghai to, to this one uh, well, definitely playing two characters, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I was like really nervous about doing. But like I said, I got with uh, Caitlin Skinner. She was my director and she was really great with like doing like the physical, uh, focusing on the physical differences between the character and finding those uh, foundations for them, which made it really more comfortable for me to kind of move in between them. Mm. And I think structurally it's really different from from Black, um, just kind of in terms of the writing and such. And it was kind of my first time doing like dramaturgy because I did everything on my own and and working with a more of a team uh, right. to to bring it all to fruition because before it was just like me just like okay put those lights over there okay let's do this <laughs> and in some ways that's easier because you don't you just do it all do you know like if you want something yeah. done properly sometimes you feel like oh i'll just do everything <laughs> but then it's more it's richer isn't it when you bring on oh no people. it's much richer yeah. i prefer to have other really? people yeah. absolutely i think I think uh, there's something to gain from having other creatives who bring their insight because they give you um, another point of view that you might not have thought about, sure. especially, I guess, in terms of like bringing the story together and like working with Caitlin throughout the script and 
like realizing oh wait and the questions that she would ask and thinking oh I didn't think about that or, or yeah that doesn't make sense or this is you know it just made the piece better I think and I and yeah and I, I was really happy doing it that way uh, and you worked with another writer as well yes I worked with my friend Meredith uh, Yarbrough and also another friend of mine uh, her name was Alto Alto Vislaster because her piece I got introduced to Sada Shakur from her senior project because we all had to write one person shows for our graduation in college. Okay. So she had done about Asada Shakur and I got introduced to Asada through her piece and I always really loved her piece. So when it came time to kind of working on this piece, I was uh I took that piece as a foundation for Asada and then Meredith and I had worked together. She lived in China as well, so we had done some projects together in China. So she was in America, so we were working via Skype. Okay. <laughs> Which we all together. do all the yes, time exactly. now, of course. Yeah, uh, But it was just great because I would go to sleep and then i wake up and there'd be like new drafts and she'd be oh, sleeping. And, so good. Yeah, so it was great. And then we just would talk in the afternoon about like, you know, how to move forward with the script. And it was it was great, like kind of being able to work with her and, and work with another writer and bounce ideas off of it. And it moves a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? I mean, sometimes yeah. you're... I always feel like you're always the the sum more than the sum of your parts. If you, if it's the right person, mm, mm. yeah, I mean, absolutely. If it's not the right person, it can be the opposite. But <laughs> yeah, it's good if you get that that team going. Yeah, we work really well together. Um, so who knows? We'll see. <laughs> yeah. So you were saying it's three years ago. Was it yesterday or today? Three years ago that you got the French first. Three years ago, yesterday. Yeah, wow. then we got the French first <laughs> for this show. For this show, for Woke, yes. Brilliant. Yeah, it was my first French first, so it was great. I mean, unfortunately, I wasn't there, but <laughs> oh, you weren't there. <laughs> no, because my sister, my sister got married, and um, she and I are really close. We talk every day, so she was just like, "You have to be at my wedding." So of course, yeah. After my performance on like the 18th or 17th, I I flew out. And then um, flew back out like right after her wedding and arrived in Edinburgh the morning of my afternoon show um, that I had to go back on. So you had one day off and you managed to go. Yeah. Back yeah, to the for that. <laughs> <laughs> and you missed the receiving your French first. I missed receiving the French first. <laughs> oh, God. So what's been happening since then? Because this show's been, you know, that's when this show originated, mm. was first seen. Yeah. Um, what have you been doing more recently? Um. Uh, surviving covid yeah, like me. <laughs> and yes exactly and just kind of trying to figure out like what my next piece is going to be and what that would look like in you know post-covid theater yeah world uh but staying busy like i'm always kind of keeping my ears and my eyes open to new ideas and yeah. um I always like to ask questions and if those questions keep accumulating then I'm like maybe I can make something out of these questions so sure where are you based in Edinburgh oh you're based in Edinburgh yes yes okay I moved here 2015 and did that was that because of being here at the fringe and then fe feeling it it was a lot of well yes it was a fringe and yeah. then I met my partner oh, okay. and um and then it was also the end of a chapter for me like being in in China I was looking to leave and kind of do something different so the French gave me the opportunity to meet uh different producers and such and so they wanted to tour black so it all just kind of came together so I said all right let's go to Scotland never imagined oh. living in Scotland but let's do this <laughs> you still like it I do yeah, I do sweet. it was a very it was a big change from uh Shanghai but sure. uh in a really great way because Shanghai was really crazy and I, and I loved it but afterwards I was like I need to like kind of 
come down a bit. <laughs> a different energy, yeah. Yeah, a very different energy. I mean, what's the kind of art scene like there? In Shanghai? Yeah. Oh, I loved it. It was it was great because at that time, you know, everyone was kind of hiding out in China because <laughs> there was a financial crisis everywhere except China. Right. So there, it felt like a renaissance in a way where people were trying new things and, you know, there were pop-up shows all over the place and there wasn't this fear of, like, failure because... We're like, well, you know, if it doesn't go well, fine. You know, nobody ever knows about it. I gave it a go and then <laughs> we just try something new and wow. see how that goes. Uh, so there was a lot of freedom in that. Uh, and I don't think I would have had the courage to write and do one person shows if I didn't start there without that fear of like, oh, what if this doesn't go well? What if sure. people don't like it or anything? Uh, so I'm always appreciative of that time. There. That's cool. I kind of wish I could have been there. <laughs> Who knows? I could be way ahead of them. <laughs> I know. It's a different China now, though. But I guess, yeah, yeah. At that time, yes. Go back in time and, yeah. and come join me. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. Thanks very much for the show and thanks for talking to me. Oh, thank you. Black lives matter. Black women matter. Black trans matter. Black gays matter. Afia Campbell there, what a force of nature. What a great story as well. I mean, I'm just amazed by that that stuff in Shanghai. It, you know, a hotbed of, of creativity because everything else had kind of started to fall apart. What an amazing place to be at, at just the right time. Um, like I say, I kind of wish I had been there. So, uh, yeah, tremendous stuff. I'm so glad to have caught that show. And uh, stay tuned to Sheddenborough.com because tonight, remember, it's a special reading of Beats by Kieran Hurley. The reading is by Lorne MacDonald, who also starred in the film. So that's a pretty unique opportunity you're getting uh, for for just £4 is the minimum price for a ticket. So remember, Sheddenborough.com, click tickets underneath any of the acts that you're interested in seeing. And you can still donate to the Crown Funder for any of the acts that have already been. The crowdfunders are still open. And all this ticket money goes straight towards bringing artists to the fringe next year, especially those artists who couldn't otherwise afford to do it. So, that's about all from me today. Remember to follow Sheddenborough Fest on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Pod on the same platforms for all your information about this podcast. Thank you so much for supporting me all the way to episode 151. Join me again at the same time tomorrow. And uh, until then, I'll just say what I always say. Cheerio now. And I know I just want to be free. I want to be free.